Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 162 of my podcast for January 17th, 2013. I have some returning guests today. They are Patrick Vlaskovitz and Brent Cooper. They were on episode 99 talking about their previous book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. You can find that at leanblog.org slash 99. Today, we're going to be talking about their new book. It's actually coming out in February. It's called The Lean Entrepreneur, How Visionaries Create Products, Innovate with New Ventures, and Disrupt Markets. So you can find links to uh, pre-order the book. You can go to um, leanentrepreneur.co, or you can go to leanblog.org slash 162, and I'll have links for that. Uh, their book will also be available on uh, Amazon.com and in the Kindle format and all the usual places when it comes out in February. So for all past episodes, including lots of discussions on lean startups with uh, with Eric Reese, Lean IT with Steve Bell, the pre- previous episode, I mean, you can get all of these by going to leanpodcast.org. And you can also find a lot of great content on lean healthcare, lean leadership, discussion with lots of other lean authors. So I hope you'll come back and listen more. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be here, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, so, Patrick, you, you've been on the show before, but if you can just kind of give a quick background for uh, listeners who maybe didn't hear that earlier episode. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, an author, and a consultant. Um, Brant and I wrote The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development back in uh, 2010. Uh, we self-published that book. It's done really, really well. And now we're coming out with our uh, traditionally published book called The Lean Entrepreneur, launching um, February 26th, 2013. Yeah, and uh, Brant, if you can uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, you know, I did the startup thing in the in the late '90s and in the 2000s. Uh, you know, had some successes and some failures, and uh, uh, sort of uh, got into uh, looking at how we can build startups better, and uh, and that actually led us towards uh, lean, and so. Uh, Along with uh, uh, some other thinkers, uh, Steve Blank and Eric Reese, uh, we're trying to apply uh, some of these lean methodologies to uh, endeavors where there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, i.e., uh, startups. Right, and so Brent, if you, you know, talk about 
you know, kind of generally before we delve into some of the things in the book, you know, lean entrepreneurship, how, how do you define or summarize what lean entrepreneurship is, you know, compared to regular non-lean old fashioned entrepreneurship? Right. So I, I think what the, the reason why we, we use the word lean is because what we want to do is eliminate waste. And so the old school methodology of, uh, creating startups, uh, but even beyond startups, doing uh, more disruptive innovation inside of large organizations as well. The old school method is sort of to believe what you uh, uh, think between your ears and execute on that. Um, and what that leads to is actually a lot of waste. It leads to people building products, adding features, uh, going down these uh, paths that uh, where there's nothing validated and it's sort of like a these are faith-based endeavors mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so what we're trying to do with lean and lean entrepreneurs is say listen here are some methodologies that you can do uh, to validate some of these things and so you're not wasting time money and effort into uh, in endeavors that are doomed to fail yeah and you know the things that make me think of lean or you know paraphrasing what you said being customer focused, make sure you're building things or adding new features um, that customers really uh, actually want and can use and find value in, not wasting the time of, of people who might work on something based on a, a brilliant idea. So I'm curious if, if one of you can talk a little bit uh, in, in the book, you share a quote from Mark Cuban um, who, who talks about, you know, following your passion um, is generally really bad advice. Can you, can you talk about um, about that, how that ties in with the notions uh, in your book? Well, so I think that uh, if I read it correctly, I think what Mark is really saying is, is that what you should you sort of naturally follow what you're inclined to do and what you're an expert about. And so if you're I think he, he, he sort of objects to the term passionate because people might be passionate about something that they're no good at. I'm not sure <laughs> that that's actually true. I, I think that, that people that are self-aware and that are, you know, there's they're doing what they want to do. It's because those things have come together. Um, and so I, I think, though, that what we're trying to get beyond again is this is this belief that if you just execute hard enough, you know, your dreams will come true. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a, a, a recent TechCrunch blog post about you have to have conviction, you know, and, and it's the people with conviction that do big innovation. And and I and I think that the, the, that quote is sort of getting to that. That isn't true. Right. It, it, just because you have passion about something or you're in love with an idea, it doesn't in an external uh, uh, objective reality, uh, that doesn't mean that those ideas are good or that they that they will work. And so uh, what is it that we talk about in the book, this concept of a shadow force? And Patrick's actually got a couple of pretty good examples of that. And basically, uh, you know, you might be. You might sell shoes online like Zappos. And so people look at your business and go, yeah, they're great at selling shoes online. But really their shadow force is customer service. And it was, it, it's what drives their business. and It's what keeps them ahead of the, the, the competition. And so the driving force, what makes you get up every day and that what you're great at doing. And, and, and this is, I think, what you do become passionate about it. But I think Mark is actually trying to uh, have you look at it a little bit different, different uh, way to figure out what can be your shadow force for your organization? 
And it, it seems like, you know, passion is an important thing, but it shouldn't be the only thing. If you're really passionate about something that's just not going to be a very good business, you know, why, why, why spend a lot of time on that, perhaps? And, you know, Patrick, maybe if you can talk a little bit about, you know, this, this notion of, you know, find, you know, how, how do you go and find out if an idea is even viable? You've got an idea for a technology or a service you want to provide or, or software that you have. You know, how do you go about that? And, and why is it sometimes people say that it's better to fail fast? What, what, what's important about that? Sure. So, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is it, you can actually commit yourself to uh, a number of sort of variables in this equation. So, for example, if there's a audience or segment that you're committed to serving in some manner, you can actually commit yourself to them and then figure out what their problems are, what a potential uh, solution would look like, what a potential product would look like. But you can also choose any one of those as well. So let's say you decided, you know what, I want to build um, XYZ product. I'm really passionate about this product. I really want to see it materialize in this in this world. Then you can sort of uh, keep that constant and iterate on your segment and your channels and your technology. And, th and the point is we, we don't actually uh, – uh, suggest what we think is the, the the best or optimal way to do it we've seen it work many many different ways but the point being is that you can commit yourself to one of these uh, uh variables in sort of this equation and then go see where the other variables fit because mm -hmm. ultimately um if the other variables don't align so if you're building a product and you're trying to um you know reach a certain segment uh, via a channel that they're not on well then you're going to fail so in terms of Viability. The sooner you actually start testing how viable your idea is, the better. And and and, and in turn, because at the end of the day, if you're doing something really disruptive, on we have an innovation spectrum, and on the left side of the uh, innovation spectrum, we talk about sustaining innovation, uh, which is generally just speaking incremental uh, performance uh, metrics. And the other side, <clears throat> we talk about disruptive innovation, and that's you know when you see these black swan type uh, effects happen. And if you're doing something on the disruptive side or more to the disruptive side, you're much, much more subject to uncertainty and deep uncertainty, not risk. And, and they're fundamentally two different things. Mm. And if you can start building what we call high hurdle experiments and viability experiments around your ideas, um, the sooner you can start actually um, learning, which is the unit of progress in the lean startup. Wait, so I, I expand on the idea of uncertainty versus risk. I think that's an interesting comparison. How would you, if you can elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So uh, what we do is uh, we, we have this, like, as I mentioned earlier, we, we talk about the innovation spectrum and we talk about sustaining innovation on the left side and disruptive on the right side. And it is a spectrum and it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, shades of gray and all that. The idea being, if you're doing something sustaining, you already have pretty good historical knowledge about what works. You know who your customers are. You know the value prop. You know the pricing. You know what sort of channels. Um, and you can have meaningful conversations with them about what they'd like to see next. So whether, you, let's say you're selling some widget and you go to your customer and you say, hey, uh, next year we're going to make the widget twice as fast and twice as cheap. Is this something you'd be interested in? And they'll say, yeah, that'd be great because we already use it and we bought you know, 25 last year. We'll probably buy 35 uh, this year because we're expanding. And you can actually have a very high fidelity conversation, and there's not a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's certainly risk. Maybe their business, maybe they go out of business, or, or maybe there's other factors. There's always you can't you know de-risk something to zero, 
but there's sort of manageable risk and historical trends make sense there and traditional business business methods make sense there. you can do a a reasonable re- return on investment uh, calculation however on the on the truly disruptive side uh, those things fall apart where you're in deep uncertainty and this is uh, uh, the land of uh, black swans if you subscribe to um, Nassim Talib's point of view on things and there it's really hard to have a meaningful conversation about what is because because both you and your potential customers lack context so there you really have to look at behavior and you don't necessarily uh, take what your customer says um, uh, uh, you don't necessarily take them at their word and in uncertainty, all sorts of interesting things happen, right? And that's that's what you're really trying to de-risk as best as possible, and um, again, and then maximize your exposure to these positive black swan effects. Uh, and you saw this, for example, the, you know, the, when the iPhone came out, the Model T, any you know major product, the um, the iPad, any product you see that sort of takes over the world very quick is, is one of these that rides these positive black swan um, waves. Mm-hmm. Now. Um... I'm curious if, if if one of you guys or, or both of you can address the idea of you know, disruptive innovation because I, I think it's really fascinating how this is part of the lean startup approach or how it's important entrepreneurship because I you know I think lean um, I think sometimes gets an unfair rap in manufacturing or even even in healthcare that you know lean is good for incremental um, tweaking of a process and you know, I don't think that you know I, I think that's somewhat unfair characterization. So I think it's just, it's great to see lean principles that we would all recognize being applied um, to, to very innovative products and innovative settings. So if, if, if you guys can talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, I think it gets, it gets right back to, uh, you, you know, sort of the myth of the visionary. So I think that there's a, uh, there's a whole culture that's built up around, uh, you know, you have to imagine the future and imagine this product that's going to be in the future and, and again, have conviction about this vision and uh, and sit down and execute on that vision. And, and you know, sometimes you'll, uh, most likely you'll fail, but there'll be some winners in there and the smart VCs know how to pick the winners. And inside of large organizations, this happens too, where uh, senior managers, they get paid a lot of money, so uh, they must be able to predict the future and they can choose which internal uh, innovation endeavors are most likely to be the big winners. Well, so this is all, it's really mythology. And, uh, and so if you, this gets back to what Patrick was saying, it, it, those are all uncertain. It, it, the disruptive side of the spectrum, the market is not only unknown, it's unknowable, it's unpredictable. And so, uh, so we're lean, uh, sort of morphs into lean startup or, or lean startup is really sort of the subset of lean lean startup was, was originally thought of around the concept of how do you, how do you tackle this uncertainty? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what is wasteful when you're attacking uncertainty? Well, what's wasteful is doing things that, uh, don't eliminate the uncertainty. So, Eric Ries in, in, in the Lean Startup uh, book talks about validated learning as being the measure of reducing this uncertainty. And so your efforts uh, um, are, are wasteful if you're actually not 
learning about what the market is and what the product actually should be and and whether the the market is tied to the to the uh to this product idea that you have um and so you can do these things in a lean fashion if you measure waste based upon whether you're learning or not uh so i think it's a it's a as you learn you then hopefully uh, transition part of your team into execution mode where then you are using traditional uh, lean practices and you've uh, established what your value stream is, for example, and then, uh, and then you're using your, your flow and uh, pull from market demand to organize your, your activities. But fundamentally, if you actually don't know what your uh, market is and you don't know your product, then you actually don't know your value stream. All of the elements around your activities are all hypotheses. And so the lean startup angle to this is is that you need to discover all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and talk a little more uh, about value streams, because it's something you, you, you write about in the book. People might think of the value stream for building uh, a car or an iPad or the value stream of a patient going through the emergency department and getting treated. What, what types of uh, value streams are important to the, the creation and life cycle of a startup? Well, so, so on the startup side, there's all sorts of uh, tools out there that, that help you document what your assumptions are. So what we've done is, again, sort of in lean fashion, is if, if, if you imagine that your product is completely built and that you have a market and you have passionate customers, now you know what your value stream is, and 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 we believe fundamentally that it's it's important to include uh, marketing and sales uh, and other uh, business operations in that value stream because if you produce a, a a product very efficiently that the market has never heard of, you actually have not created value for your customers. So if you include all of the marketing and the sales and the and the manufacturing, the product development in your value stream, once the product's out there and you have passionate customers, you can look and see what that value stream is. Again, if you look at an, the uncertainty where you don't know what those things actually are, you believe in your head that you know, um, but now you actually are going to work using lean startup principles to validate those assumptions, then what we have is a, is a way to hypothesize um, uh, what will construct your 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 value stream, um, and so uh, the method that we use in the book is is basically starting from that passionate customer, working backwards to that customer being first aware, and what are all of the business activities, both value add activities as well as some non value add probably that are are necessary mm-hmm. to get the the product out to market, but you create a set of of hypotheses around this value value stream. And then that gives you what you can go uh, and test using the methods we describe in the book around interacting with your customers in a particular way. What what met- metrics do you want to focus on that make your actions uh, 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 actionable? What, what is actually going to move the business forward? And what sort of experiments can you run again to validate these different hypotheses of what your value stream is going to look like mm-hmm. once you're successful? Yeah, I mean, it seems like one of the familiar themes there you know, with, with the value stream is that you're breaking down uh, barriers between silos of you know uh, software development and marketing and, and and trying to get better creation around that, uh, better collaboration in that flow of creating a customer, maintaining a new customer. Is that right? Right. I mean, I think that the, in today's world, the 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 traditional uh, business organizations around departments uh, tend to work. Uh, so 
too slow. So we've done a number of, of workshops with uh, enterprise companies, and you hear this story over and over where, you know, hey, we get experimentation. We we actually have a group here in our in our company that's in charge of uh, running experiments. And the problem is, is that it takes four or five months to run one experiment, and that experiment is likely going to fail. And so these people that are are seeking to do this innovation, this more disruptive innovation inside of the organization, they give up. You know, it takes four or five months to do one experiment. The experiment's likely to fail, and they're okay. I'm just going to go back to my my existing job. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem. The, the other part of it is that when, once you have silos like that, the number of people that are actually in close contact with the customer so that they can understand their needs deeply becomes fewer and fewer. And really, we need the engineers, we need the designers, we need product managers and salespeople and marketing people to be close to the customer to understand what those needs are and what is the most efficient way to deliver those needs. Um, and that's what that's what a lean organization looks like uh, on 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 the more disruptive side of the innovation spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, when you know we talk about uh, evaluating experiments and and you talk about validating validated learning, uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting in the book was uh, was the phrase um, "data is used to inform decisions, not make decisions." Um, if, if you, that's a really interesting point. If you can talk about that. You know, it's, well, it's, it's, it's actually, it is an interesting point. It's one of those things, you know, we, you see this a lot in the, the tech startup world. You know, everyone's really excited about data and we're all data driven and et cetera, et cetera. But data is not, uh, you know, most of the time, you know, Brent and I could look at the same data set and come to uh, radically different conclusions about what to do next, mm-hmm. right? Sort of based on our experiences, how we interpret the data. Um, and, uh, you know, what we think is possible given our resources. So this idea that data somehow has this objective truth that doesn't need to be interpreted or <laughs> right, right. talked about uh, is, is completely false. And anyone who's done any, you know, series of, uh, you know, tough decision making will, will quickly concur, right? Uh, you know, yes, data, of course it's good, but it, yeah. it doesn't make decisions for you. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and, and and so, you know, Brett and I, even with this book, when we're working on how to promote the book, how to do this, how to do this, we often have, you know, uh, discussions about, you know, I think this, Brand thinks this. And, and it doesn't mean that we're wrong or right. It's we interpret it differently. We bring different experiences, different context. Uh, but at least what, what's, what's powerful is that we, at least we have a common ground to talk about things. Um, and and much it's, it helps resolve that, you know, I'm the visionary. Uh, you know, you should do what I say. Right, and and that's that to me is when I when I run into startups or organizations that have that uh, problem, uh, it's 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 not it's not a good problem to have. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. it's an ugly problem. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point that you know, you know data doesn't create robotic, automatic decisions. I mean, I think sometimes people think, well, you know, if there, if there's this automatic decision, it either uh, reduces risk or uh, you know somehow minimizes uh, you know the risk of being being wrong and I think people are uh, afraid of that until they really kind of get into the idea that um, we, we run experiments we have hypotheses we go through the you know the whether you call it the PDCA PDSA improvement cycle some we're gonna be wrong you know get over it we're gonna be okay and um, well, like, well not, not only that you know mark it's 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 also the you know one unfortunate thing in, uh, we've seen quite a bit of is when people run you know 
one so-called experiment and assume that their you know hypotheses or their uh, are, are are you know firmly validated when really you should be running multiple type experiments to really suss out what's what are the causal effects in in any of these experiments and so you know you, it's very rare where where if Brett and I run an experiment where we say we just do it one time and then we go high five it's validated or no, it's not right <laughs> it's, it's it's you know as anyone again who's done any sort of serious sequential decision making it's never it's impossible to do anything like that you yeah. really have to run sort of multiple experiments you have to at least take some time sometimes you get them right sometimes you get them wrong mm-hmm. um and uh it's it's just not a you know run and gun type approach um uh if you want to get deep understanding you're, you're hoping you're hoping an experiment informs the next experiment right and so yeah. you're honing in on on what the right answer is uh, so like a real quick example would be, uh, you know, we talk about in the book quite a bit about how do you measure engagement? Well, you have a hypothesis. What a user is going to do over some time period that indicates that they're engaged with your product. And you measure that. And if it doesn't reach your your hypothesis uh, figures, then then you have a couple of decisions to make. Well, one, the hypothesis could be wrong. Maybe engagement is you know, they, they're going to upload and share a video two times a week instead of three times a week. Or it could be that there's something wrong with your product. So the data is telling you what you need to go and look at deeper. What's another experiment that you can run? But it actually doesn't tell you how to improve engagement. Well, Patrick and Brian, I think we're going to have to uh, wrap up here. There, there's certainly a lot we could dig into. Um, you know, looking at the book, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of great stuff, lots of case studies. Um, lots of examples, very practical stuff. It's it's a great looking book. <laughs> the not going to judge a book by its illustrations, but um, uh-huh. I think it's a book um, people will will enjoy reading and enjoy looking at. Um, so we talk about um, ways people can find out more about the book. It's available uh, for pre order now. If you if you can share um, that sure. for the listeners, so we'd love for uh, people interested to come by leanentrepreneur.co. Uh, so once again, leanentrepreneur.co, not .com. Uh, come by, take a look. We've got a video about uh, Brant and myself. We talk about what's the uh, what the book is, uh, um, what the what the book contains. We actually all we're also running sort of a sweepstakes uh, where if you if readers pre-order from us, uh, they have a chance to win some pretty neat prizes. One of those include uh, dinner with our friend Dave McClure, hosting packages from Rackspace. A golden ticket to all the GrowConf events uh, this year. Um, uh, I think we're giving away 50 uh, Lean Entrepreneur t-shirts designed by Fake Grimlock. So we have a bunch of neat prizes. We'd love to have people come by pre-order and uh, check it out, spread the word. We're also going to be posting up all the illustrations from the book. They're actually Creative Commons, so people can take them, remix them, use them in presentations, Mm. uh, use them on their websites. Uh, We think that we hope to see a lot of creativity there. We'll be doing that hopefully this week. Um, and um, if anyone has any questions, please email Brant or myself at hello at leanentrepreneur.co. Once again, hello at leanentrepreneur.co. And uh, we look forward to uh, making this thing a bestseller. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Patrick and Brant, for um, coming back on the podcast, talking about the book. And uh, hopefully we can do this again. Good luck with uh, the launch of the book. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.
If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.